So where do I start? I was told a couple of days ago, actually, on Monday, to just start. It'll come. Everything will come. So, here's my story. As 2020 ended, and that was a hell of a year, 2021 started off just as bad as 2020. Being a healthcare worker, a frontline healthcare worker, who has her own chronic illnesses. Um, I've battled cancer twice. That'll come at a later time. Um, The reason... I'm trying to start a podcast. I don't think that we as healthcare workers are trained to do anything like we've done. Rules were broken. It, it's crazy to think about it. And here we are in the beginning of a fourth phase of COVID-19. I'm such a patient advocate that it hurts my heart at times when a person makes themselves a DNR, DNI, do not intubate, do not resuscitate. When they make that choice, we should honor it, and we don't. We as healthcare workers want to do our very best and our very best is to save a life but sometimes we forget that that life is a person that person has feelings that person has thoughts that person has emotions and we forget about that when a person comes in through the emergency room with that golden ticket, why as healthcare workers are we to question it? Why do we question it? Why don't we just say, we're going to respect your wishes? But instead, we say, it's only gonna be temporary. We can fix this, we can change this, we can reverse this, it's only gonna be temporary. I'm not God. I can't tell you something's going to to happen if it's it's not my timeline. I'm not the one who writes the story. January 19th of this year, 2021. I was working in CCU. I had gotten a report about a patient that came in through the emergency room with shortness of breath. We tested him in the emergency room and he tested positive. He was in his late 80s. When I got report, the report was he came in as a DNR, DNI, but said physician decided to ask him over and over and over and over and over and over throughout the night 
Are you sure you don't want to be intubated? We can intubate you. We can make it easier for you to breathe. We can do this and we could do that. And when someone asks you over and over and over, you start to question the decision you made. So how this, how this story all began... <clears throat> I had gone into the patient's room, and I had started a conversation with him. He was having a hard time with his sentence. He was gasping for breath. His sats were in the mid-80s. His heart rate was elevated. His blood pressure was elevated because he couldn't breathe. I changed him to a heated high-flow cannula, explained to him what I was doing and why I was doing it, and as we were talking and I, we were having a conversation, he was able to have a conversation without gasping. He could, he could say a full sentence without gasping. And he was very thankful that I did that. And he asked me, they want to put me on a ventilator, but I don't want to go on a ventilator. What should I do? Don't you love those questions? What should I do? What should I do or don't let me die? Please help me. Don't let me die. <clears throat> when I had walked out of the room, I told the nurse what had happened and that we um, made progress with the high flow granted he was on 60 liters and 100 percent and his sats were 89 90 but everything else had stabled stabilized his heart rate came down his blood pressure came down his respiratory rate came down and his his sats went up <clears throat> i told the nurse what i had done um and i was walking back to the respiratory department to get some more supplies and start the day out and she called me and she said, we're going to intubate him. I had no response. I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to say. And she said, are you there? I said, yes, I'll be there. I'm, I'm going to get the vent. I'll be right there. She said, well, we've already called anesthesia. Okay. <clears throat> At that moment, I was so angry. So, so angry. I brought the vent back to CCU. The hospital is taking care of the patient, who I have much respect for and is a fantastic physician. Um, I said, why are we doing this? Not to question what, what we're doing, but why? Why are we doing this when he came in with a DNR DNI? He said, because he changed his mind. I said he changed his mind because we as healthcare workers made him second guess his, his decision when he's in his right mind. When he was in his right mind, not sick. And now he's got COVID, he's on all this oxygen, and we're going to take his word. But yet, it's like we can take their word when it's a convenience for us. So he said, well, he's, he changed his mind, and I just had that conversation with him. Okay. 
I shut down. I immediately shut down and didn't even know I was shutting down. <clears throat> the anesthesiologist came in and she's fantastic. Intubated him without any problem, no trauma, no, it was just smooth. She, she's awesome when it comes to intubations. Never, never a second thought, never, um, no anxiety. I love when she intubates. It's fantastic. So as we intubated him, of course, his blood pressure drops. His heart rate starts to drop. I can't ventilate him. And they're looking at me like, what are you going to do? I said, I'm doing what you all want me to do because he didn't want this. And we're doing something that he doesn't want because we make him second guess. It got a little heated. Um, I put him in pressure control. Nothing else was working. I love pressure control. It took me a good hour to get him stabilized respiratory-wise when before we intubated him, he was stable. He was a, he was a stable COVID patient. We've learned by this time that you intubate them, they die. If you don't intubate them, they possibly die. So the fact that we took that choice and that that dignity away from that patient when it came to the way he wanted his life to end brought me right back to the reason I made myself a DNR DNI. I did that in 2018. I was diagnosed for the second time with cancer. Squamous cell in my head and neck. Um, I had it on the base of my tongue. They had told me I had six months or less, and I totally panicked. Um, I made some, I made some choices and decisions, and I've got everything. You know, I got my will together. I got um, my medical POA, my financial POA. I've got all that situated, and all I can think of is. My kids wouldn't know what to do. That's why I have somebody outside of my family as my medical POA. I've been a respiratory therapist for a long time. I've seen a lot of things. Um, And I know what I want and what I don't want. And I do not want to be on a ventilator. And I do not want someone jumping on my chest to give me quantity of life and not quality of life. I've been diagnosed with squamous cell. Um, the first time was in 2015. I went for a routine colonoscopy. Went through radiation, chemo. It was horrible. It was horrific. The side effects from the, the treatment itself are lifelong. I have neuropathy. Um, my gut flora has never been the same. It's just more medicines to take care of the symptoms, the side effects of treatment. Why do we, why do we choose to put poison in our body when 
there's alternative ways. I'm scared. I want to live. But the longer I went through treatment, the sicker I got, the worse it got. When I was done with treatment, radiation is a gift that keeps going. Um, The side effects don't end until about two months after radiation is finished. Radiation keeps radiating for two months after you're done. So I have to put this poison with chemo and this radiation that gives me a third degree burn from the outside in. And I knew, I knew at that time, I didn't want anything. I I didn't want. I never, I never really, I guess I never really thought about it. Um, I knew what I would do with my kids, and I've had, all three of them have had broken bones. One has been on a ventilator. It's all motorcycle and just boys being boys, men being men. I knew what I wanted and what I didn't want. When I was diagnosed with tree, or with cancer the second time, and they gave me six months to live, like I said, I had everything, I put everything in order, and I made myself a DNR, DNI. I told my family that I wanted to make myself a DNR, DNI. Because they had said, I have six months to live. So I wanted some quality life. My family was upset, but it's not about them. It's about me. I was in my right mind, knowing what I wanted done, and it was my choice. My choice. It shouldn't be anybody else's choice. And we, as healthcare providers, As family members, we need to let our family, our loved ones, make their own choices and not fight them. But we fight them all the time. I see it all the time. I see families say, oh, no, we we want everything done for mom or for dad. When mom and dad, they don't want everything done. They're the ones who are in the bed, connected to a breathing machine, connected to a dialysis machine, totally dependent on someone else to take care of them. The family's not taking care of them because they're in a facility. So the family at the the end of the visiting hours, they get to go and have a life while their loved one is still there. Totally dependent on a stranger to take care of them. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? We wouldn't do that to our dog because we don't want our dogs or our animals to go through any of that. Oh, no, that's too, that we can't do that. But we do it to our loved ones. I don't, I don't understand it. I, I just, you'll never make me understand how you can say that you love somebody so much that you want to be so selfish and make them suffer just so you can keep them around. When they're afraid to tell you that they don't want to go, I mean, that they don't want to be around, that they're, they're okay to go home. 
but they're afraid to tell their families that they don't want anymore. And that comes, that gets back to where we're at. So at bedside, we intubated him. All I could see is my family doing the same thing because the doctors had talked to them. We can do this, we can do that. No, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that. When the air care team came to get him, so we did all of this, the air care team came to get him, they had a hard time ventilating them on their transport vent, and all I could say to him was, I'm so sorry, and with tears running down my face, I'm so sorry, I tried, I tried, I tried. Once he left the room, I had to clean up my equipment. I closed the door. As I started to clean the high-flow equipment and the ventilator, I got so mad. I started crying, and I just yelled. I just yelled. And the nurse, she opened the door. She's like, are you okay? I said, I just need a minute. Just close the door. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I cried. And I asked God, why? Why? Why do we... Why? What didn't I say? What didn't I do? What could I have said? What could I have done to help him more? I took the equipment back to the department. And I kind of just shoved it in the corner. And one of the therapists I was working with that day, she's like, are you okay? No, no, I'm not okay. Is there anything I can help you with? No, we just went against a patient's wishes. But everybody who is involved seems to think it's okay to do that. And it's not okay. It's so not okay to do that. I stayed away from everybody. That day, I took care of my patients. Like I always do, I love my patients. I text my medical my medical POA and I said hey girl what's up Um, I want to just confirm that with this COVID mess and me being right in the middle of it front line we never know what's going to happen I just want to know that you still are willing to do what I asked you to do when it comes to my DNR DNI and that is to do nothing her response was, I made a promise to you, and I will, I will keep that promise. Are you okay? No, I'm not okay, but I'll be okay. And as the day went on, the therapist who asked me if I was okay to begin with um, was leaving and she said I'll see you tomorrow and I said not if someone doesn't if not if someone doesn't find me she's like what do you what I said never mind never mind I finished the day I clocked out I got into my car I drove home like I normally do (laughs) 
the music on and just decompressing. When I got home, I let my dogs out like I normally do. And you heard the dog, one of the three. I came back in the house. I fed them like I normally do, fed the cats like I normally do, ate my bowl of cereal like I normally do, turned the TV on, watched a couple of shows, turned the TV off, and I went into the bedroom. The dogs jumped on the bed. I turned to them, gave them kisses, and said, I love you. Someone will be here tomorrow to check on you, and you're going to be fine. I sat on the side of the bed. I put my glass of water down. I got up again. I got my DNR and my will out, my DNR golden ticket and my will. I put it on my nightstand. I proceeded to open a bottle of oxycodone a bottle of Xanax, a bottle of Ambien, a bottle of Gabapentin, and a bottle of, um, I can't remember what it was, to be honest with you. My my mind is just, mm. I took eight handfuls. I would go from bottle to bottle to bottle, fill my, my palm up, take that go to the next bottle, do the same thing. I figured eight handfuls of the medicine that I took, I would be, I wouldn't be here. So after I took all the medicine, I took another sip of water, I looked at the dogs, and I said, it's time to go to bed. So turned everything off, and we went to sleep. Well, I didn't show up for work. The therapist who had asked me if I was okay wanted to know what I had said about the comment that I'd made. She called our director and said, there's something wrong. She's not here. He's like, what do you mean? She's not here and I know there's something wrong. She's not answering her phone. Um, I know something's wrong. So the director came into work, and he has all of our information um, stored in his office, our address, our phone number, emergency contact, all of that. So he called my phone as well. He called my son's phone and couldn't get my son's number or couldn't get him to pick up and left a message and said, you know, if you don't call me back and... I think it was 10 or 15 minutes. If you don't call me back, I'm going to I'm going to call the the police department and have them do a well check. <clears throat> so he ended up calling the police department, gave him my address, explained to him what had happened. And then um my son had called back. So he my boss told him what was going on and what he had done and asked him if he would come to my house and just see what was going on and keep him updated. The police were at my house. They heard the dogs. My son pulled up 
And they said, do you have a key and can you contain the dogs? And he said, yeah, I'll get the dogs. I'll, I'll contain the dogs. Um, so they let my son open the door. One officer came in with him. So he got the dogs contained. And he never went into my bedroom. So the paramedics have come. They called it in as a respiratory distress. But my DNR paper was right there. So they couldn't intubate me. They took all my papers with me. And my son said when they, take, when they took me out of the house, I was unrecognizable. They were bagging me. Um, he said they were, they were squeezing something over your face. So I, I said, okay, they were giving me oxygen. And they were trying to breathe for me. They knew they couldn't put me on a machine. They got me to the back of the ambulance, and my son had walked to the officer and said, why is it taking them so long? And the officer said, well, you know, we thought it was a COVID shot because I had just gotten my second vaccine that day on the 19th. Um, But the paramedics are saying it's not the COVID, and they were giving me Narcan. They had given me two doses of Narcan to get me to wake up. I didn't wake up. So they took me to the hospital. They asked, where do you want us to take her? And my son's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Just take her someplace. I don't know. Where did she have her last cancer treatments? Where did she have her last radiation and her chemo? She still has her port in. That was at Baptist. The first time was at, at um, 